Uh, we do have a long way to go and a short time to get there. I want us to continue this journey of looking at Jesus, the Son of God. Really, the question is, Jesus, so what? You know, I mean, why, why should we care so much about what Jesus has to say? And that's what John, the apostle, was trying to help his readers discover, that, that there's going to be a lot of competing ideas and, and viewpoints out there, uh, and, and a lot of competing gods, little G-O-D-S, that, uh, that, that people are going to have an option of looking to and trusting and following and there's going to be a lot of different ideas and ideologies and philosophies out there that are contrary to what uh, the church and what Jesus taught. And, and so the question is, why should we follow Jesus rather than all these other options? And today we find the same question that e- even as followers of Jesus in this room, uh, you are faced with competing ideas of how to live life. As followers of Jesus, we, we're confronted with this way of life that Jesus says is the only way that we're supposed to live. And then we have a culture or friends or family even who say, well, don't worry so much about what Jesus said back then. It's, not as, it's, it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. That's, that's way back when. What you really need to do is you need to live life this way, even though it might contradict what Jesus said. And as followers of Jesus, we face these things. And maybe it's not what our friends say or what, what, what culture says. Maybe it's what we're saying on the inside. How many of you have decided to live your life at different times contrary to what Jesus said? Wait, I'm just waiting for everybody to raise their hand. Just... <laughs> of course, we all have, right? We, we've all, and, and for, some of, for some of us, it was a season of of. I'm a follower of Jesus, right? I'm, I've been rescued by his love. I, I have tasted life through faith in Christ. And yet, somewhere on that journey, I got detoured. I'm talking to me personally. I got detoured, and I decided I'm going to live life contrary to what Jesus says. And I'm going to walk that path. And I've walked that path for a season. How many of y'all have experienced that? Not just a momentary glitch in the matter, but actually a season. I mean, I have. And I'm a preacher. I've done it as a preacher. And you might say, whoa, 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 whoa. You're getting too real. But that's just truth. And so the question is, why is it that I, a follower of Jesus, would decide that I'm going to live for a season even, contrary to what Jesus says? Why would I allow my emotions to dictate my actions and disregard what Jesus wants? So what we're trying to do is we're trying to see, safeguard ourselves, help ourselves, not make that mistake. By the way, let me go ahead and say this. Every time I made that seasonal detour where I lived my life in a way that was different than what Jesus wanted, every single time ended in disaster for me. And every single time it will end in disaster for you. Okay? So how do we keep ourselves from that kind of disaster? All right, so as we, well, it's not just reading that because I'm actually preaching a whole series on it, so we can't just give one answer. I've got to talk for 30 minutes for like the next 12 weeks. (laughs) Really? I mean, come on, don't shortchange my preaching. Anyway, uh, so uh, what we're doing is we're looking at 
how Jesus helps us and why we should trust Jesus more than we trust what people say around us. All right, so if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 2. We're looking at how Jesus... Um, there, there are basically three accounts that we're looking at. The first account is Jesus in the temple and what he does there. The second account is where Jesus uh, have a statement about who Jesus is and, and what he knows. And then the third account is Jesus with Nicodemus. And then we'll have a glance at John the Baptist and what he has to say. So a lot, a lot of words, and we won't be able to dig deep into any of them, uh, all of them. But, uh, but, but let's just pull out of these things something about Jesus that we can take with us. All right, so the, the very first thing, the big picture here, is that Jesus is above all things. And this comes from the end of this section. Okay, we follow Jesus because he is above all. Now, look at John chapter 3. Now, I want you to look down at verse 31. All right, this is John the Baptist, his disciple, John, the followers of John the Baptist have asked Jesus, uh, asked John the Baptist, so tell us more about Jesus. What do you think about Jesus right now? He's baptizing people. Is that okay? And, and John the Baptist said in verse 30, he must increase and I must decrease. And then he describes why. Okay. Verse 31, uh, John the Baptist says he, or Jesus, Jesus comes from above. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, this is what he shares or testifies. And no one receives that testimony. Uh, He who has received that testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit in, in partial measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into the Son's hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. John the Baptist says, okay, here's the thing. You've got a choice. John the Baptist says to us today, you've got a choice. The people around you are of the earth. They didn't didn't descend from the heavens. Okay, the people around you, they they're of the earth. You and I, we are of the earth and we think earthly things and we are constrained by the existence, this earthbound existence that we have. The wisdom that we have, even the smartest people in the universe, uh, we are confined by our earthbound experiences. Uh, Even the collective experiences of history up to this time are still bound by limited perspective, limited perception. We cannot plumb the depths of the human heart or the human spirit adequately to explain it or to define it or even to help it uh, perfectly. We cannot uh, look and peer into the future and understand what's happening tomorrow. We are confined by our earthly experience. Therefore, when we explain how life should work, it is a limited explanation based on limited experience when compared with the perception and the experience of Jesus Christ. This is a whole sermon, by the way. Jesus is above all because he's from heaven and he has an eternal perspective. He has eternal wisdom. He sees everything from beginning to end. He understands the human heart and the human spirit perfectly. So when he gives us advice about our relationships, we ought to take advice from him rather than from Dr. Phil because Jesus knows better than Dr. Phil. 
When we hear from Jesus how to do life together as a community or as a family, we ought to listen to Jesus because he has an unlimited experience, an eternal perspective, and and we don't. So many of us base what we do in relationships or in community, in church or in business, we base what we do based upon what we feel. That is absolutely insane. It's crazy. That leads to a crazy life and leads to devastation in our relationships and in our community. Why? Because we're just basing things. We're not even basing things on a wealth of wisdom of experience that has come up to us at this point. We're basing what we do based upon this limited experience in the organ called our heart that we don't even understand and can deceive us in so many different ways. How many of y'all fell in love before you really fell in love? Oh, I'm in love. Right? Hey, hey, oh, yeah, I mean, I'm 12 years old, and, 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 and there's that girl, and I, I don't even remember her name, but I gave her a leather bracelet that had my name on it. I'm in love. That lasted two days. But after those two days were over, guess what? I fell in love again. Why, why would I move from that to that to that and fall in love? Because I didn't understand my heart. My heart is, my heart is limited. My, my emotions are deceptive. I don't understand them. And yet we want to base our life based upon how we feel. Come on, guys. There's a better way. And some of us don't base our lives based upon what we feel. We base our lives on what other people feel. That's even worse. Because Billy Sue feels this way, I'm going to behave that way. I'm going to adjust the way I live based upon what somebody else feels. I'm going to change my behavior based upon whether or not you like me or don't like me. I'm going to change my behavior so that you are pleased with me. Right? So that you think good thoughts, you feel good things toward me, and I'm going to live my life like that. What? 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 There's one thing I've, I've known, and, and let's just be honest. Every day I wake up, I have already disappointed about 200 people. I, it's true. I, by breathing, I've disappointed 50 or 60. But, but the truth is, I, and, and, and it can change. I mean, there, there, some of y'all in this room, y'all probably, y'all, y'all might not have talked to me last year, but today I'm your best friend. Why is that? Have I changed? Probably not. Have you changed? Yeah. Or maybe I have changed. Maybe, maybe, maybe your perception of me has changed, or, or maybe I was kinder to you than I, than I was before. You know, there are a lot of different reasons, but if we build our life based upon what others think or feel, then we have entered crazy world. So here we have a better way. We need to listen to the one who is heavenly, has a heavenly perspective. We need to start living our life based upon what Jesus says and what Jesus wants and how Jesus feels rather than how we feel or what we think or what our friends think or what culture says. Why? Because Jesus is above all. 
All right, so now let's look and see how he's above all. First of all, going back to the temple, John chapter 2, verse 13 and following. Jesus goes to the temple, and what happens is Jesus uh, clears out the temple. He, he, he sees people selling doves and goats and sheep, and, or doves and sheep and, 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 and sacrificial animals, and he turns over money-changing tables, and he, and he makes a, a, a whip out of uh, uh, cords, and he starts clearing things out. And, and, and so he's turning over tables, and he's whipping things, and, and, and he says to the, uh, to the sellers of doves, take this out of here and don't make my father's house a house of merchandise. And, and, and so he, he's, he, the scene is Jesus walks into the temple, he looks in the outer courts, and all of a sudden he blows up. Now, some have said Jesus wasn't angry. Oh, good night. Flipping tables and hitting people with a whip. I... Okay, he's not angry. I don't know what that is, but okay. I'll, I'll go with it. You all right? Hey, he was perturbed at what he saw. Why? Well, if you go down to verses 22 and 23, or 23 and 24, and 25, you see a little bit of insight here. Verse 23 says, Now Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did, but Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. What, what, when Jesus walks into the outer courts of the temple and he starts clearing the tables, when, when people start chasing around after him, the scripture says one specific thing about Jesus. He knew what was in the heart of man. Here, here's the lesson for us. Jesus is above all because he gets to the heart of us. He, he gets to your heart. Look, <clears throat> Different interpretations about the temple. Don't have time to get into all of them, but, but Jesus uh, turned over tables because um, uh, people were more focused on making money for profit in the sale of merchandise than they were about worshiping God. That's one option. P, uh, another option there, uh, Jesus turned over tables because uh, the money changers in the system there in the outer court, they, they were more concerned about purity of coins than they were about the purity of heart. When you go into the temple, you would take uh, the Roman imperial coin that had Caesar or pagan deity on it, and you would exchange it for a temple coin. And the reason you had to do that is because you couldn't use a Roman coin for sacrifice. It was impure. It had pagan stuff on it. And Jesus was upset, turned over money-changing tables because they were more concerned about the appearance having a pure uh, temple coin than they were about the heart having a pure heart before holy God. So that's another. Or uh, Jesus uh, was perturbed. He walks in and and the outer court is the only place where uh, Gentiles could worship God. It's the only place for a God-fearer, a person who was not a Jew, an outsider could come and worship the one true God, Yahweh. And yet the outer court was filled with all this money-changing stuff. And Jesus looked at it and he said, this is wrong. We, 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 have, we have missed our purpose here. And we've, we've, we've left the outsider outside. We haven't given people a place to worship. We're more concerned about, about uh, uh, ourselves than we are about allowing others to worship God. So he ter- turns over tables. Whichever way you want to look at the cleansing of the temple, and all of those will work, and I think there's a bit of uh, a, a truth to all three of those options, 
The, the reality is Jesus looked at the heart of people and he said, your heart is wrong. And he does the same thing today. Jesus is looking at your heart right now. And there's a good chance he needs to overturn some tables. Jesus is looking at your heart, the intent and the ambition of your heart. He's evaluating you right now. And here's here's the terrifying thing. He knows there is nothing in you that he doesn't get at. There's nothing in you that, that, that you can keep secret from him. The terrifying thing is he knows what you're thinking right now. He gets it. He gets to the heart of you. He gets to the heart of me. And that's terrifying to me. Maybe, maybe I'm strange that way, but... It just scares me a little bit when Jesus knows what I'm thinking. All the time. Especially here. And here's the thing. You can fool the people around you. But you can't fool Jesus. I can fool everybody in this room for a season. But I can never fool Jesus. His gaze has already pierced to the depths of who you are, and he gets at you. He understands you. And what he wants to do in your life and in mine today is he wants to tear up anything in our heart that is contrary to him. He wants to turn over any affection in our life that leads us away from him rather than toward him. He wants to turn over some tables in your life and in mine. And for some of us, like me, we can be so stubborn that he has to fashion a whip of cords to drive some of those affections out. How many of y'all ever been on the receiving end of that whip of cords? You know, what we do is because we show up, you know, because we're here and because we, we look the part and we play the part and we, we, we're all respectable and, and we've fooled enough people because that's been our job is to wear this mask and fool enough people into thinking that we're all spiritual. And we play this game and, and, and we justify ourselves. We, we try to justify ourselves and think, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, nothing wrong with me. Everything's cool because look at the way I dress, look at where I go and look at what I read and look, 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 look at all this. And it's like... It's like going through the motions. But Jesus isn't looking at your motions. He's looking at your heart. He's getting to the heart of you. And the truth is, you don't have to answer to me. Isn't that good news? I guess. I, I, you, don't have to, you don't have to give me an account. You don't have to, you don't have to do any of that stuff. I, I, I'm irrelevant in this picture. But the scary thing is you've got to give an answer to Jesus. He's looking at your heart. He gets to the heart of us. 
So that's frightening. But, but the, the, the positive side of this, the positive side is when Jesus gets to the heart of us, when he knows me, knows, that, knows everything that is in man, knows everything that is in me, all the desires, all the intention, all the ambition. When Jesus looks at me, he also knows the answer to my deepest need. Because he knows me, he knows the answer to my deepest need. Here's here's the quest we've been on. All of us, all of us, all of us have been on a quest. We're longing for something to satisfy us completely. We're searching for something to give us a life of significance. We're working diligently, trying uh, tirelessly to to find something that that fills us up and doesn't fade away. And and we've been looking and searching on this quest and, 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 and... And it seems like everything we try comes up short and we still feel empty. Or, or, or we, we, we have been satisfied in Christ. We, we have experienced the satisfaction that comes through Christ alone. But, but somewhere on this journey, we're, 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 we're bombarded with difficulties and, and struggles and problems and fears and, 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 and a future that's in a fog and, and, and people doing stuff to us that makes us uncomfortable or, or breaks our heart. We, we go through all these different things and, and all the while we're, we're, we're saying, oh, oh, well, what's the answer to these, these, these things I'm going through? Jesus knows the answer. Now, this is the story of Nicodemus. John chapter 3, begin verse 1. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at 9. I just want you to look at verse 1 through 3. It says, there was, a, uh, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I, re- I read that, and I think there's a missing sentence in there somewhere. Because here's what Nicodemus said, Jesus, you're, you're a teacher, you're a great teacher, and you're from God because of the signs that you do. We know this. And Jesus kind of ignores all that nice talk that Nicodemus does, and he goes straight to the heart of Nicodemus's problems. He says, unless a man is born again, they're not going to enter in the kingdom of God. Do you realize what Jesus did in that moment? He got to the heart of Nicodemus and he said, okay, let's not play all these religious words and word games. Let me just tell you the truth. You got to be born again. You need new life. You need a radical rescue. Jesus pierced down to the depths of Nicodemus's soul and gave him the answer that he needed. Nicodemus was on a quest. He was religious and he was generally a moral man, but he was empty and incomplete. And that's the truth about so many who gather with us every single week. You are a religious person and you are generally a moral person, a good person, a nice person. You've been banking on the fact that you've been in this room, this room, for 10 years or 10 months or 20 years or 50 years to make you right with God. But friends, being in this room doesn't make you right with God any more than being in a doghouse will make you a dog. That's an oldie, but a goodie. Some of you are, are you, you've been playing the game of Nicodemus and you wonder why it is your well is so run dry. Your soul is so incomplete. You are such a miserable 
person. And it's not God's fault and it's not everybody else's fault. The problem is that you don't have new life through Christ. You see, the goal for us is not to be more religiously devoted. The goal for humanity is not for us to be more morally pure. The goal for us is to be with God. And the only way that's going to happen is if we are born again. And this comes through an activity of the Spirit of God where, the, where God sends His Spirit and awakens our minds and our hearts to see our need for Him and then shows us that the answer that we've been looking for is Jesus himself. Here's the good news. Jesus knows the answer to your need. And and that's, that's if you're not yet a follower of God, but it's also for you if you are a follower of Christ. See, many of us in this room, we are followers of Jesus, and we have been for some time, and we're still miserable. It's not because Jesus didn't give you a full load of hay when he, when he brought you into his family. It's not because he didn't fill up your cup uh, when you became a follower of his. It's not that Jesus, uh, there was any lack in his gifting to you. He poured the spirit into your life in full measure. The problem is that somewhere when difficulties hit or struggles happened or other affections took hold, you decided that you were going to look for the answer within yourself or within other people rather than Jesus. You got a problem? Why in the world are you coming to me first? I appreciate it. I really do. I appreciate the fact, the trust that you give me when you ask me uh, to answer a question or to help you with a dilemma. I'm, I'm thrilled to do that. But why would you ever come to me first without talking to Jesus? Guys, I'm just a guy in the fog like you are. Get it. There's, I'm not supernatural. We only have one high priest. His name is Jesus. Why in the world would you come to me and act like my prayers have any special power? Get it. I mean, I'm happy for you to come talk to me. I love answering questions. I really do. I love walking with people on a journey through a, struggling, a struggle. But first, go to the one who has the answer. His name is Jesus. Some of us, we've been living in the darkness, even as followers of Christ. We've been living in the dismal swamp of our own despair for so long. And we've been singing the doom, despair, and agony on me. And we've been looking at our life as, 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 as a terrible, no good, uh, terrible, bad day. And, and we're, we're looking, and, and all we can see is how bad it is. But we've got the king of kings, the one who is above all, who gets at the very heart of us, who knows everything in this world from inside and out, through and through. He's ready to give us counsel, and we don't even talk to him. We go to our social media, and we're looking for a meme that has a special word for us today. Some little, some little cute little saying or phrase that we can look at and take hold of and say, that's what I've been looking for. It's like when, if y'all are my generation, it's like when we would go to the magic eight ball and shake it up and look for an answer for our day. Should I ask that girl out? Not likely. And we go to magic eight balls and we go to memes and we go to social media and all those things. Not the magic eight ball, but all those other things may be pretty good. But why would we go there 
When we have Jesus, are you talking to Jesus about what's going on in your life? You got a struggle, go to Jesus. You got a problem, go to Jesus. You got a hurt, go to Jesus. You got a you got a joy, go to Jesus. Just go to Jesus. Spend some time with him. Let him talk to you. Cuz he's got the answer. Jesus knows the answer to our deepest need. And the third thing is, Jesus delivers what we need most. See, our, our understanding of ourselves is still earthbound. And we might think, well, here's what I need. I need another $50. If I get another $50, then I can pay that bill. And if I pay that bill, that creditor will be off my back. That creditor is off my back, then everything's hunky-dory. And then you wonder, well, why didn't Jesus give me that other $50? Because Jesus is not looking at the $50. He's looking at a deeper need. The issue is not a $50 bill. The issue is something deeper and more profound. And what Jesus does is he delivers what we need the most. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus came not to condemn the world but that the world might be saved, delivered through faith in him. Jesus came as the one who delivers God's words to us. Jesus is the one who pierces light into our darkness so that we can see and navigate through the fog of our future. Jesus delivers what we need the most. And what we need the most, first and foremost, is a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. What we need the most is to be saturated with the love of the Father brought to us through faith in the Son. What we need the most is to have our, our, our love tank filled by the power of God brought to us through Jesus and saturating in our soul by the Spirit of God. What we need most is a friendship with God through faith in Christ, to have our sin forgiven through Jesus' death on the cross, to, to, to experience new life, a born-again radical rescue from God and His grace through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. What we need most is life in Christ. That's what we need most. And some of you are here and you're still not there. Some of you are here and you've been here for a long time, but you're still not there. You're not at the place where you have found new life in Christ. You found religion. You found a a group of friends that you can hang out with. You found some good feelings that happen every now and then, but you don't have new life. Look, we don't need a little bit of religion that makes us feel good for a season. We need Jesus in our life that it will explode our soul with new. And that's what Jesus delivers. Look, if you've been living in the dryness of life, even though you're a religious person, a moral person, and, and you, you listen to what I'm saying and you're saying, well, I, yeah, I don't know I've ever tasted that. Look, stop playing games and find new life. Let the Spirit of God lead you to new life. I'm talking about conversion. I'm talking about being born again. I'm talking about have the old uh, uh, pass away and everything become new. I'm talking about the, the empty spot inside you being filled up 
with Jesus Christ. I'm talking about the hole in the middle of your soul being filled to overflowing, saturated by God's love and, 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 the, and, and his presence in your life because of Jesus. Look, I'm talking about something that's different than just following a set of rules and showing up at a place and paying our dues and thinking we're okay. I'm talking about a transformation. I'm talking about new life. And if you're here and you're not at that new life place, you don't even know, can't even comprehend what I'm talking about, then today's a day you need to start marking down. You need to say, well, I need to know more about this new life. There's more to the sermon, but I'm going to stop right here. Here's what I need for you to do. Um, the, there are people in this room right now, whether you were a student at camp or a parent of a student at camp. There are people in this room here today who've been here for decades, months, or weeks. Maybe this is your first time. But in the core of who you are, you know that you are empty and incomplete. The core of who you are, you know that there is a deep lack in your life. The core of who you are, Jesus is getting at the heart of you. And he is showing you how your sin has separated you from God and you need a radical change. You need a radical rescue. You're here today and you look at your life and you say, I need to be born again. The Bible says that we find new life in Christ when the Spirit of God awakens us to see our need for Jesus Do you see your need for Jesus? When the Spirit of God awakens us to see our need for Jesus, and we say, yes, I need Jesus, and we look to Jesus, his death on the cross as payment for our sin to purchase our forgiveness. We look at Jesus and his resurrection from the dead as, as the opportunity for us to have new life. And so today, we are ready. We see Jesus. We see our need for Jesus. He's the one with the answer, and I'm going to run to him so he can give me the answer that I need most. We cry out to Jesus, and we say, Jesus, I am a sinner. I know my sin has separated me from you. Today, I come to you, and I cry out to you, and I ask you to be the answer that I've been looking for. I know that you died on a cross to forgive my sin. I know that you were raised from the dead to give me new life and new birth. Now I pray that you would pour your spirit within me so that I might live in the newness of life, the fullness of life. I commit right now to be yours. All in. If that's the expression of your heart, then I'm going to give you a chance to do that very thing. Everybody, bow your heads, close your eyes, would you? I don't do this often. In fact, I can count probably on two hands how many times I've done this in this worship gathering on a Sunday morning. But I feel compelled to do it today. Today, I want you to listen to my language. Today, if you are here and you know that you need to be born again, that you need Jesus to forgive your sin forever 
and to give you new life. You are here today and you know that you need Christ's death on a cross to pay for your sin and his resurrection from the dead to give you new life. That's who you are. You're in this place and you know that you need those things. And today you are ready to abandon your life into the hands of Jesus, to give him charge over who you are. You're ready to embrace him fully and completely. You're ready to have a radical rescue. If that's who you are, I'm going to ask you to do one thing, and that is to lift your hand right now. Anywhere and everywhere. If that's who you are, that's right. Anyone else? You're here today. You know that you need to be rescued by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Anyone else? Today, if that's who you are, you lifted your hand or you still haven't lifted your hand, but you still know that's who you are. In a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to begin to sing worship to Jesus. And I'm inviting you who need Jesus. I'm begging you today. Come and talk to one of these ministers here at the front. You come and talk to them. You say, I need Jesus. What Eric was talking about, that's what I need. I can't live another moment without it. Will you help me? And I promise you, we will help you. gentleman who's been uh, coming to this church for at least three years I know of friends my friend friend of this family friend of my family he and I've had different conversations but today he walked down this aisle and he said today I need to do this I've been traveling around the sun a thousand times and I still haven't landed and today I need to do this his two sons and his wife sitting over there in the corner watching and crying along with their dad and their husband as his life is forever transformed by God's grace. And that's, that's you. That's what needs to happen in your life. So today I invite you in a moment to stand and stand quickly and come and talk to one of these men and say, this is what needs to happen. So Father, right now, by your grace, do this mighty work. By your spirit, draw to yourself those whom you are calling. God, I pray for lives to be transformed forever. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen.